from the top. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode uh, 19 of Maker That Money, the uh, conversation where two makers, that's me, Pooch of Repcord, and Andrew of a 3D Gloop, uh, talk about what it takes to get your passion project to the next level. We love talking about maker entrepreneurial ventures, uh, business, small business in, in general, and stuff like that. And we are lucky uh, to be in the presence of greatness today with Mr. David Randolph of Printed Solid, well, of formerly of Printed Solid, now of Prusa 3D, technically. Yes, David? Uh, still Printed Solid. We're staying, we're staying very separate throughout all those things. I was still Printed Solid. It's just at the end of the year, I don't get to keep the money. Ah, I oh. see. Well, I hope you get to keep some money. I mean, they've got to be paying <laughs> you something. But uh, <laughs> a, a little, a little something. Well, welcome. Thank you for having us. Uh, thanks for bearing with us over the the technical uh, issues. Uh, everybody in the chat this morning. For for those of you who are listening back on the podcast uh, later on, we do this every uh, Friday morning at nine a.m. Pacific, twelve a, uh, twelve p.m. Eastern. Uh, and uh, we welcome you to join us live so that you can feed questions to us in the in the chat. Uh, it, we also have the option up here, uh, for people who like call-in shows, we, you do have the option to call in and, uh, ask us questions or give us comments directly. Uh, so feel free if you're feeling brave to do that today, uh, we're going to talk about something that David gave me, uh, some, some really sage advice on in a couple years ago now. Uh, and that's the shiny object syndrome. Now, for those of you who don't know what that is, I'm gonna have I'm gonna put Dave on the spotlight from for right right here, and I'm gonna have him tell you <laughs> what it is and why you should care about it. Well, the the problem is is that with the shiny object syndrome, is that there is always something better. There's always something more to do. There's always something else, uh, ten feet in front of you. There's always something you could be doing in, in addition to, and unfortunately, it always stops you from doing what you have to do right now. So shiny, shiny, shiny object syndrome to me is kind of like where you're standing there and you're like, okay, I've got this ready to go to market. Ooh, I could do this. Uh, stop that. And that that's what shiny object syndrome is. And as a maker, especially coming from <laughs> this area, that is probably one of the hardest things when you take it from just your passion we're we're so used to wanting to tinker, right? We have our hot. We we, mm -hmm. we I think we all came from hobbyist roots to some extent, or or we're just tinkerers in general. And um, you know, you you just it's in our blood. We want to make it better, right? We want to do the next thing. Uh, and as a business, that is really really hard to um, uh, reconcile because having that focus is so critical. Uh, I always say that, um making one of something and making a thousand or 10,000 of something are completely different challenges. And we come from these areas where we kind of start with, you know, you go to a, a, a Murph or Nerf when you want to show off like the thing that you made. Uh, and I think that's why a lot of people think that, Hey, I, I made this and now I can turn it into a product. And it's, mm -hmm. it's really less about the product and more about all the support systems that get you to that final deliverable product. Uh, so Dave, you're spot on, and I'm sure you felt the draw of that just as much as, as the rest of us. Um, I think I'm jumping ahead a little bit, though, and I apologize for that. Why don't you start by giving us the origin story of how you came into Printed Solid and what your origin was with product and, and all that stuff, for those that don't already know the story? Uh, well, I will say this. Let's give or take 
back in oh, 2007, 2008, um, I had a business called Ran Laser where I was running laser cutters. Um, that was kind of my thing. Um, I built boxes for different people, different configuration panels, whatever they needed. So that was my, that was my side hustle for the day. Um, so much that my side hustle for the day was that there were a few Chinese uh, companies that were importing lasers and they kept getting broken in shipping. So I would prepare them up to sell them off, mm. uh, for them. Uh, and they paid me in laser cutters. So it was a great deal. I just ended up with, <laughs> you know, a garage full of laser cutters and laser tubes. Um, but I've been making enclosures for 3d printers for the longest time. And Matthew Gordon, uh, originally started printed solid back in 2013, technically according to the IRS, mm. but didn't really get uh, a heavy start till about 2015. Okay. Okay. Um, and that's when I came along and I started working with him and started putting enclosures in a store. And, uh, before too long, it got a little too busy to be my side hustle. So we combined ran laser into printed solid. And then, you know, as time progressed, I kept buying more and more stock from Matt and he became less and less until all of a sudden it was taking up both uh, way too much of his time. He had two wonderful kids. He's been raising them and he was missing them growing up. So I said, all right, I'm going to buy out your last little bit. Get the heck out of here. And uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll be the one that suffers. I don't have kids, so I'll be the one that suffers and take it all on. And, um, that's that's what happened so i took over uh and, and he left about a little over three years ago now and so i've been running a place ever since so you're you're no stranger to the mergers and acquisitions in this in this world you've been through two now i guess at least uh team mergers and acquisitions personally and then in a former life as a video engineer my primary job was to uh, technically lead companies through mergers so ah. so you, I, know, uh, you know what it takes I, I spend way too much time with lawyers <laughs> <laughs> somebody's got to do it um wow so i mean that's so okay so printed solid you said tw 2013 let's say 2015 for all intents and purposes uh so that that makes it at least seven years since you've been involved with uh printed solid right uh, uh and and when you when you when you first came to them like where were you doing? Were you doing all your fabrication out of your house still, or or did you have your own place? I, I was still out of my house. Um, okay. I was doing fabrication. Oh, wow. I was making enclosures out of my house. Um, so much, and it was, it was it was actually in Maryland. So printed solid is give or take. It was about a, a two hour drive from there. Okay, um, okay. which is in and, Delaware, guys. Which is in Delaware. And uh, the humor I would put to this is that at one point I need a really large laser cutter to get through these things but there was no door big enough in my house to get a laser cutter through. So I built my own laser cutter inside of the house. And then, oh, I, no. <laughs> and then that way, when I moved, I had to take the laser cutter apart. Um, that was uh, the only way to get it in. I was hoping you sold it with the house. You should have said like, you know, uh, <laughs> la la laser cutter house included uh, with a fine house enclosure. Right. Yes. Yep. That's... And I had to quickly learn a building codes because at that house I had to, uh, there was a basement. I had to go down there and put up additional support beams and, uh, um, all over the place because the laser cutter and all the acrylic and material was too heavy for housing codes in the area. Oh man. I can imagine. And then, uh, I've talked to you cause I, I kind of got my start in lasers too, not probably to the extent that you did, but, uh, you know, the considerations for ventilation and, uh, sc air scrubbing and it, all that stuff. Uh, trying to integrate that in your house and still live in it and not, you know, uh, I imagine was a challenge for you as well. 
storage was my biggest challenge after the the, uh, the actual uh, uh, ventilation parts of it, just because um, at one point, every room in my house had enclosures stored in them. And what would wow. happen is every weekend I would, you know, rent a U-Haul and drive them up to Printed Solid to ship them out. Wow. Oh my. Not the most efficient uh, uh, distribution <laughs> channel there, was it? It was not the most efficient, but it was everything. Uh, the entire basement had, you know, packing supplies and the entire first floor of the house was just, and I mean, every room, the bedroom, there was a, there was a one box wide path to the bed and everything else was straight to the ceiling. Wow. <laughs> I love I love hearing this type of thing because guys, this is how it starts. This is how it all like begins. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, it's uh, it's not often that you get you get to see how the sausage is made or hear hear that. And uh, obviously, for for as many that uh, that are successful, there's there's plenty that don't make it as well. And so, you know, it, and and the path is fraught. You know, it's not necessarily. Mm -hmm. Uh, you, you may be doing everything right. And one, it just takes one little thing, you know, one, one legal issue, one, uh, uh, failed partnership. Uh, there's all kinds of things that it's literally navigating a minefield sometimes is what it feels like. Oh, uh, there's so many ways to die. <laughs> there's way more ways to die than there are to succeed. I mean, and, and do you feel like, uh, uh, and I, and I, this is a loaded question, Dave, but, uh, now, now that now that you've you've made it, do you feel like you've made it? Are you safe now? Or, or I mean, or are you ever going to feel like it's as stable as it needs to feel? Oh, you're you're never safe. You're never safe. <laughs> um, so that that is a problem you always face here, is because see, technically I'm still CEO, even though you know Prusa Global technically owns you know the stocks of Printed Solid. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you ever watch the news, it's never the stockholders that get arrested. It really isn't, <laughs> is it? <laughs> Nope. <laughs> they need a fall right. guy. They need a fall they guy. A fall <laughs> guy. <laughs> You're the fall and, guy. Oh. And there has to be a fall guy in America for the company. And I am that fall guy. So I better make sure I do everything right. Right. Oh, or or you 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 find another fall guy and then you exactly <laughs> I just kind of back out. So so I don't know if it's too personal then. So the, as far as the ownership structure goes, I'm assuming you're still like uh, uh, you have some ownership uh, through Prusa or, or something to that extent. Or are you allowed to disclose that? Uh, no 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 they 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 bought 100% of printed solid stock. Okay. So they own 100% of the stock in the company. Okay. Um felt it was a little bit cleaner that way because okay. if we did you know 80 20 splits there's a lot of legalities that have to happen mm. with distributions and payments and profit and spending and everything else sure. that happens. Sure. This way they're 100% in charge of, you know, the money. Okay. Does that give you own any ownership in Prusa or or is that not how you did it up or is that Zero. Zero. Prusa, Prusa definitely owns Prusa, and I just run Printed Solid for them. Yeah, it's. Okay. I'm a complete noob to how mergers and acquisitions, right? And there's probably a million different ways that it it can be structured. Uh, but oh, big time. But interesting. Very curious about how that that process goes. And I know that this has been in the works for some time now, right? So it probably took quite a while to to cross the T's, dot the I's, all that. Oh yeah, absolutely. There was there was quite a bit of work in it. I mean, this whole deal started, you know mid early last year uh initial oh, wow. discussions okay. um and then officially happened in january and then after we got it took you know six months for or five months for all the legal issues to get out of the way so that we could actually make a public announcement okay okay and and what i mean has it, it did it feel hard at first at the at the idea of uh of of relinquishing control of your baby to some extent or or was this a good 
it feels like a good i hope it feels like a good move <laughs> it feel, it, well it feels like a good move but a big part of the discussion was how much am i giving up i mean it was you know hey, how much are you going to come in here and tell me what i have to do and mm -hmm. stuff like that mm -hmm. and uh, it really worked out to be david you just go you're, i'm not changing anything the only the only thing i'm doing is uh putting prusa products in the store sure which is which is awesome. I know there's a lot of people excited about that. Uh, yeah, no. You know, simpler uh, process for for getting Prusa stuff. So that's that's fantastic. And it's it's been less that they tell me, and I have to sit there and I I go, I want to put this in the store, and I, it's more I'm telling them I want to sell their stuff. Uh, so it's it's very it's it's really left printed solid. So it's still it's still mine, but I just don't like I said. The only difference is I don't get the money at the end of the year. Mm. Uh, Alrighty. Uh, that's that's the big difference that came from it. Now we'll tell you, technically January first, it did become property of Prusa, you know, and then I had to work out the legalities. New Year's Eve at midnight, I was sitting here at this desk, and of course I had, you know, bottle of Jameson, yeah, and I had my, I had my shot of midnight hit, and I went, okay, officially this is no longer mine. Wow, uh, and really nothing changed on that. Uh, that, that was the only thing that really changed overnight. So, but that's huh. how I celebrated the new year's was I, I, I understood the legalities of what happened. Um, Alrighty. <laughs> that's, that's wild. I can't imagine what that would feel like. It's, it's all, I don't know about you, Andrew, but it's like, it's all I've known for so long. And, and I, for me, it's yeah. only been, you know, it's been technically six years to the IRS, but I, I, I say we're really in year two for what I've, oh. as I know it now. <laughs> Um, so I still feel like I'm very young in a, in a startup, but, uh, and, and then it feels like 20 years, <laughs> I got, got some grays very recent from a lot of this, but, um, <laughs> but man, I can't imagine, you know, that feeling of, of, uh, of, of feeling like it's not actually yours anymore, but you sound like you're, you're pretty okay with it. And they, they, it's awesome that they've given you the autonomy that you you want and need. So that's good. It, it, it's still mine. It's just the only difference is, is that if Prusa, you know, comes to the door, I technically have to legally let him in. Yeah. Okay. You can take whatever you want. It's yours. <laughs> I guess, I mean, this is, this is always the, I mean, I, I don't know about you, David, but we, you know, I listen to a lot of uh, entrepreneurial podcasts and you hear horror stories about, you know, partnerships or when VCs end up taking over and that ultimately they can install somebody else if they decide to. And that's, that's the, that's the trade-off, right? So. Absolutely. Yeah. But that, that, that was my fear is that there, I mean, me, me and Joe, we know, known each other for a really long time, uh, but it's still a dangerous partnership um culturally they're slightly different over there than me and slightly different and mm. if they didn't own 100 percent of this place let's say it was an 80 20 split right i could be stuck with 20 percent of a place i didn't want to be a part of type of thing right yeah so it's 100 mm -hmm. theirs and i'm along for the ride so that way there's none of that partnership conflict you had I have to imagine your background then in, in doing mergers and acquisitions came in incredibly handy because you knew exactly the, the, the perils mm -hmm. of all the different choices. I, I knew how I wanted to structure it. And yeah. so I'm assuming this was at your suggestion of how to structure it. Yeah. So, I mean, when it comes to partnerships, I'd like to say you really want to be the extreme minority holder in a place if you can be so that you're just, you look at it as just like buying stocks on your stock market. Okay. Um, you want to be almost a 50, 50. I personally like the 45, 55 split, um, uh, deal, or you want to be a hundred percent. 
Hmm. You never do want to be the majority and have minorities also reporting to you as far as stockholders are concerned. And the main reason why you want a 55-50 is because, uh, uh, sorry, 55-45 is because you technically have someone for minor day-to-day activities that could make the administrative call. Uh-huh. But if there's any mm-hmm. major concern uh, or economic concerns to the company, you've got to have greater than a, a two-third split on the votes, which you can have in your charter. And that's just a better way to do your partnerships. Yeah, you know, I hadn't anticipated getting into the details of partnerships, but I, I'm constantly, I'm fascinated by this this kind of thing because I know there's, like I said, a number of ways to do it. Uh, it always feels different when you've got people with skin in the game, uh, what their mm-hmm. motivations and stuff are too. But obviously there's challenges uh, along with that. So that's that's really that's really interesting. Uh, it, were, were you the one to, it sounds like you were the one to propose the structure. Uh, did you approach Prusa first? Did they approach you or was it? Kind of something you. Oh, they approach me. You know, I'm just that valuable. You're you that know, approachable. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm just, I just scream money, this type of thing. But no, I had, uh, I actually had uh, a couple other companies at the same time that were also courting me, uh, that wanted the same deal. Oh, and very um, cool. Prettiest lady uh, at the dance. I was just the prettiest <laughs> lady at the dance, going around. Dance car but, school. And you know they they were they were all great people that wanted to do it. It was the structure that uh, Prusa brought to the table that I went. I can get behind this. I can. I I believe I can actually be a part of it because I was not. I'm, I was not trying to. Uh, we've seen as a few companies. You know they sell and then the main owners disappear. Yeah. Uh, and I I the deal was I told you know all the companies I said I am not going anywhere. Right. You're you're not getting rid of me. And that was a, that was that was the first part of the contract. Um, so I said the only reason why it's for sale is because I want somebody to expand and grow printed solid, and I feel like I've kind of done the most I can with where I'm at. Okay, okay. Uh, and so you are you are under a contract for a period of time then to to be there uh, or or oh I, I'm un, I'm under contract to yeah. be here. Um, that wasn't really needed, but I was under a contract to be I'm under contract to be here because everything needs to be legal, you know, no matter what. Um, and there is already, um, extensions, um, uh, there's already extensions built into it so that they can pretty much extend it, you know, as long as I'm alive and maybe few years after I die, uh, the weekend at burning me, it'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds fun. Um, well, that brings up my, my, my next question and, and maybe it's, you know, less, savory to ask but i'm always curious too is there like succession planning that has to happen or contingency planning if something happens to you do you do you have to put that bake that stuff into the agreement um you know well the whole hit by a bus problem how do you handle it's it's not as part of the actual agreement and acquisition but it is a a task that needs to be set up uh, after an acquisition okay so that's already been started so nothing, um, nothing formalized in, in an agreement, but uh, that's that's always an because, interesting challenge. Because yeah, it doesn't really change the contract. I'd be dead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what do you what do you care? You're dead. Yeah, I get. It. Right. Yeah, and it, there's some minute there's minutiae in, in the contract negotiations. You know, you sit there and you say, if I die, I don't have to give the money back because like I ended the contract early. Things like that are in the uh, contract. Yeah. Uh, you know, they sit there and go, you just died, and it's just fine. That's where it's at, type of thing. But yeah. um, as far as the succession goes, there is uh, we're working out the finer details of that. If I die tomorrow, there'll be a headache for about a week. But 
right. We're trying to work a, out the details. A week? Of the you think that's it? <laughs> just I mean, a come week. Come on, just a week. Give yourself more <laughs> credit than that. Oh well, no, no, no. There's there's people I can you know the, they would call in here and they'd be able to pick up where I was. I'm that organized. All I need is my password. Well, uh, alrighty. It's, <laughs> it's password one, guys. It's not password, <laughs> password one. <laughs> well, uh, man, I mean, again, just so exciting, and I'm sure, and I, I just, I can't imagine what what is it. Where do you imagine it's going to feel what it's going to feel like like a year from now, two years? And I'm not going to I don't want to give you the cliche like what's the five year plan question. But I know you're a planner. You're a you know, you've 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 got this all sketched out somewhere. Probably looks like a, you know, wire diagram. You got the pictures with all the yarn going from people and stuff like a <laughs> crime scene between everything. Yeah. You know. Yeah. What, what what do you got in the works? Uh, well, my, my plans is to own the world um uh, for perusa world domination good yeah world domination for perusa out of this but uh what i really want to do is and this is not on paperwork yet this is just you know my personal vision and what wakes me up in the middle of the night is what i really want to do is i want to become a major component to um keep perusa going and um, optimize their manufacturing. They're doing a great job on it, but I want to be able to optimize it and produce it and make them uh, uh, increase production, uh, things like that, uh, and, mm. and help them take it to the next level. That's um, awesome. I really, I, as I as I jokingly tell you know people, I want to become the American Joe. You're gonna have um, to get the okay. hat first. You yeah, gotta that's get my, the- that's, I gotta get the hat and I gotta get the glasses right. <laughs> but um, that, that, that's what I'm shooting for: is to become the American Joe for uh, Prusa to help out to keep things going, um, expand it, um, create the true redundant backup, you know, the contingency plan. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the idea that you know you have two sides of the world, either one of them could still exist without the other. Yeah. Uh, just, build that into the model that's that's my dream it's not official it's not on paper but that's my dream i can't even fathom at the scales that you're talking about i've been to the prusa factory i've seen like it is it is not a small operation guys i mean we you see the pictures of the farm and stuff but it goes well mm-hmm. well beyond all of that uh i think they're up to what is it now like 800 people or something like that dave you know uh i, I can't say that number officially but you're about in that category Something, uh, something like that. Every time I yeah. talk to Joe, it's like another 100, 200 people or, you know, in there now. <laughs> Incredible. And I know they're talking about another potential move and all sorts of interesting stuff. So what will be interesting is, uh, you know, we're going to get all the, the, the details from, from David's side of the, the, the story, you know, here. And maybe in a couple of weeks we'll have Joe on and, and see how oh, he yeah. feels about the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, and see, see if those stories line up, you know, the same way I'll bet you he's uh, just as excited, if not more, you know, than, than you are. Cause it sounds like you can bring a lot to the table in terms of uh, uh, you know, obviously getting him into a new market, a new, you know, it's a, I don't know. Do you, are you able to say, or do you know what percentage of the Bruce's market, the U S is compared to the rest of the world? Uh, no, I can't say that number out loud, but it is significant. Yeah. Um, okay. And that is in the consumer category. Um, if you'll yeah. notice our store, uh, you'll see that, you know, we're focusing on educational and corporate enterprise, government sales, mm-hmm. those type of people. Um, there's several reasons for that. But the, the first one is that a business or a school or a government agency cannot buy from a foreign country yeah. directly. Uh-huh. And it's not so much the, you know, use a credit card and buy it from a foreign country. It's the tariffs. Because mm-hmm. if you write a purchase order for, you know, a printer, 
at you can't put on there the tariffs because you don't know what's going to be until it actually hits the port. Right. So businesses can't handle that. Government just won't handle that. Um, and schools just, you know, absolutely can't do, work off a, a, a schools can't, you know, write a PO or a grant unless they have exact numbers down to the penny. Yeah. Um, so and then there's also several states that require you know, you have to do sales tax for school sales. And uh, uh, country cannot do that. So, yeah, for me, it's pure legality and just dealing with paperwork. So I like to say the biggest part of this acquisition I've brought to the table so far is that I'm really good at Excel and signing forms and doing bank deposits. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it goes well beyond that. I mean, the administrative, I mean, just I can't the yeah. tax implications. I'm sure you're, you're having to learn a good amount about I, I can't imagine what the tax implications are for for Prusa and how that works. Because now, uh, now are they. What, what does that mean? Obviously, because they can now sell to government and schools and stuff like that, that that does mean they're an American entity or, or some, to some extent. How does that work? They're not an American entity. I am an American entity. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but you are Prusa now. so how, No, means... no. They own 100% of my stock. Okay. Yeah, I think from a lawyer, they just own 100% of my stock. It's like ah, if you bought 100% of Sony stock, you don't own Sony. You own 100% of Sony stock. Okay, so as an entity, mm -hmm. printed solid silver is very much a thing. Mm -hmm. A it's, true it's American just, company. It's just the ownership structure is foreign-owned mm -hmm. American company now. Now, there's there's several government. Uh, when I deal with government contracts, I have to give them certain paperwork to identify that a majority of the company is owned by a foreign entity and report that, things like uh, that. IRS requires me to identify uh, the foreign entity and identify myself as uh, liable for the foreign entity um Ooh. so things like that uh lot, lots of wonderful rules involved there you're responsible for their behavior is that is that yes. it? wow i am responsible for their behavior interesting okay all righty <laughs> i know right i'm learning i'm learning a lot i mean this is really interesting I, I imagine do you feel like you still have a lot to learn around this is there a lot of reading that you have to do or you got a pretty good handle on it at this point oh my god i spent so much time reading um i i mean individual every single state i have learned their unique individual tax laws uh for every state in the united states i have uh, mm -hmm. learned all the import laws all the import restrictions um and then try and communicate this over to prusa um, ah. and communicate it in a way that they go okay that makes sense they they don't understand that there's just random amounts of money that come out of the checking account every month and i go oh yeah that's just you know a bunch of sales taxes i gotta pay um <laughs> and they're just you know That's every normal. state some random amount um it, it sure feels like <laughs> um but there's state tax problems i mean you're in california did you mm -hmm. know that there is no agency in california that uh that uh a school for example if a school or college buys a printer they still have to pay sales tax so the, they, so guys, uh, for those that aren't aware, when companies buy from you, like they can get exempt sales tax exemptions. This is what mm -hmm. Dave's referring to, uh, especially if they're you know reselling or there's R and D uh, and there's different ways that you can yep. get exemptions, categories. Uh, categories and stuff like that. But education uh, gets no such exemption, which seems backwards in a lot of yeah, ways. Only it seems really California. Backwards. Most other states they do. Yeah, mm -hmm. yes. Uh we're <laughs> special. Uh we it, what we do doesn't make sense in a lot of regards, uh but uh that is the price you pay for sunshine. 
California has 291 <laughs> different tax rates. Yes, and it's, they all tax. suck. <laughs> I know that because I have to file 291 separate uh, listings for that. Does it just make you oh crave like going to a VAT system or something like the way that you know Europe handles like? Because it just it, it's based on a it's antiquated times. That's what it feels like, right? But when brick and mortar days, like it didn't matter. It wasn't the administrative overhead of having to manage all those different municipalities. It, it's a bad patch system. It really should just be an internet tax. It's flat rate. We all pay it, and uh, it gets spread amongst you know the states based on population or something like that. That would make things so much easier because. I spend more money on administrating sales tax than I do actually on sales taxes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's a thing. We could literally do a whole episode on that. Oh. It wouldn't be very exciting. Oh. No, it'd be very boring. Uh, be very boring. <laughs> but uh, it, it, these are the, these are the things that, you know, again, when you're getting your start, especially as a maker and it's just like, th this is where makers burn out. They're like, I don't want to deal with it. Cause it's like, yeah, you, you do have to deal with this stuff. If you want to play the game, if you want to, participate in this uh commerce so but now for makers here's what i tell them you can learn it there is a, you can learn it the information's online you can hire accountants you can learn it unless you start out making five million dollars a year in your first six months your tax penalties for your learning phase is not going to be that bad so yeah. it's not bad at all <laughs> yeah makers get out there start making start selling just yep start immediately figuring out what you have to worry about taxes and statewide. And don't forget almost every state out there, you get that first year that you don't have to be incorporated or get an LLC. They literally forgive you for that first year of your business. Mm -hmm. However, if you pass your second year, they won't forgive that. So See, your first that. year. That's interesting. Yeah. I just, from the get go, we, we started and we picked <laughs> LLC, but uh, interesting. That's... Yeah, well, you, you don't know if you're going to be a successful business or not. No. So mm -hmm. in that first part of the year, you know, you're using your laptop and your house and your basements and stuff that you already paid taxes on to start your business. Yeah. Um, they give so you one year, huh? That's uh... most most states will give you one most year before they require yeah. you to. Uh, you've got to do some sort of filing with us, uh, yeah. not on sales tax, but just on your you know tax returns. Mm -hmm. um, you still have to count everything as income, but they give you one year that you don't have to incorporate and start expensing and all that stuff. That's a good tip. I uh, I wasn't aware of that. So right, right, right off the bat, like I said, I'm learning so much. Um, I want to go to the chat. We got a question for you uh, from Imperial 3D Printing and Design. He asks, when can we expect more Jesse's subscriptions to open up? And uh, is there a chance of seeing Prusament subscriptions in the future? Ooh. Um, all right. So Jesse's subscription. I first have to uh, tell you that Probably not any time in the next couple of months here, but let me tell you, uh, this is a, a good thing for maker and business people to think about why Jesse's subscription exists. Uh, it was not meant to be a money maker for me. It's it's a uh, it's a money breaker. So, what is that? I run I I, uh, I run two shifts a day on the filament lines, and Jesse's subscription fills out the extra time during the month, so I can still keep my people fully employed. And the line's fully running. Keeps the machines so going. Okay. It keeps the machines going. So Jesse's subscription, the number of boxes that are released are based on production flow. Oh. So that I don't I'm I, I, I don't end up like some companies that just sold until they were blue in the face. Right. Um mm -hmm. and then go out of business because they didn't deliver anything. Right. And yeah. I don't become the you know, and I don't become a company that has my workers sitting around with the lines not doing anything. Yeah. 
So that's Very why straight. it's a yeah. good way to fill it out and it, it reduces the total overhead cost. So it keeps my filament at a relatively cheap price. So it's a good gauge. Um, production right now, Jesse is extremely popular. So it's sure. making it hard to add it on. Um, I'm either, you know, look for another shift of people to run three shifts or, you know, get more equipment. Um, nice. And then uh, that will up the subscription numbers or Jesse just has to have really poor sales. Um, one of the two or a lot of people have to leave. It's one of those things. That <laughs> to so we don't want to necessarily see more subscriptions uh, become available because it's metric of sales. That's a bad for, thing. It's a bad metric <laughs> of sales for Jesse currently, but it could be other things too. It sounds like it could be other things. I get more equipment. I hire more people. There's a, there's a, there's like five good reasons and five bad reasons why I could have more subscriptions available. How many lines but are you running currently? Sorry. We're running two lines, two lines currently. Awesome. Two shifts. Yeah. Uh, two two lines, two shifts. Okay. And the way the lines are set up is that one person can run both lines simultaneously. Oh, okay. It's great. So you got some so, pretty good automation then if, uh, you know, you can, somebody can just bounce around and, and uh, maintain. It, it's optimized process. There's very little automation. It's very optimized process. Ah. I had the lines designed so that they actually face each other. So one is a right extruder and one's a left extruder. Ah, uh, so there's the right twix and left twix. Um, nice. And, that way, the person walks right down the middle row between the two extruders, maintaining both systems just by looking at either side. And there's five feet between each, you know, both machines. So it's very tight. What about the Prusament side of the question? Has there been so the, conversations on that? Uh, and no, and I doubt you'll see it. I can't comment because I don't know their market on that side of things, but I doubt you'll see it. Okay. Because if you look at their store, you'll notice that they don't have everything in stock all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> not really a reason for it yet. Okay. Okay. Uh, and, yeah. and as far as the plan for the foreseeable future, Prusament will still be produced in Czech Republic. Uh, they're, they're not looking to have production actually in the U S but you will carry it at some point. Oh, we, we already carry, we already have some in stock here. We have uh, their top 10 colors in stock right now. Nice. Um, we're getting more and uh, we'll eventually have all of it. Um, but, um, you know, they have several things in the works over there. And once they get through all those things, they're going to evaluate the situation. And they might consider letting me do Perusament over here. We don't know. Huh. Um, it's, it's not been taken off the table, but it's not on the table yet. Are there uh, machinery considerations <laughs> in terms of like, uh, are, are you able to, to produce the same way that they do? Same equipment? Do they have any special stuff that you would have to bring in for uh, more lines? In order to be in order to be fair to Perusament, I would have to have their exact equipment follow their exact procedures. Sure. Uh, yeah. My my equipment can get close, but that's what makes it Jesse at twenty dollars. Uh, you know, it's a it's it's meant to get close to it. Got it. They have their process. They've developed so many internal. You've seen that they've developed so many internal systems and automations that make their filament what it is. It's awesome. And that's what I would have to do the exact same thing over here just to be honest to the brand so that you would be no way you could tell a difference between what's over there and over here. That makes sense. And that's, that's a huge logistical problem. I mean, I, uh, electricity alone would be a problem. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's what it would take. So uh, uh, Andrew Rogers in the chat comments that he thinks he's only been getting left extruder product this entire time. 
Uh, uh, PLA is on the left, so if you've been using PLA, then yes. So, yeah, if you're a PLA <laughs> user, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Who knew? Now you know. Well, listen, I know this has been kind of a, a, a circuitous path we've taken because we started talking about shiny objects. Yeah. I, and then, I and then of course, ask. we got swept into uh, uh, this. So so I do want to circle back because yeah. uh, it, it, is a, it is a topic that's near and dear to me and that I – by no means have perfected at all. I still struggle with it on the daily. Andrew, how do you feel about it? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's literally everything here at Gloop. It's like, Oh, we could do this and we could do that. And you know, some of the, the chemistries that we're working on are, they're so exciting and we can see applications well beyond adhesives, but how do we focus? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so the biggest thing you can do with shiny objects is that you need to think of, I mean, Shiny object can kill your company real fast. So mm -hmm. the first thing you have to do is establish a uh, an end date uh, or a final date at a dead point time. And um, I think I even did this with you, Pooch. I gave you a uh, I gave you a dead drop dead he, date. He threatened me. He, he literally <laughs> threatened me. <laughs> so, but you have to pick a date, and you sit there and say, if I don't release by then, the company is going to suffer. Yeah. And sure. you have to finish everything up until that point. Uh, so even if you have a feature that you've kind of worked out, if you don't have it ready for production, that's not going to be on the product. And you save it for the next revision and the next revision. So shiny objects are something that you put on a shelf and look at, um, but you pull it off only when it's ready and usable. Um, so let, let me tell the, the, I'll just tell the story really quick. As long as this doesn't embarrass Dave too much, I don't think it would, but, uh, this was maker fair. I want to say it was 2018 in New York maker fair. Yep. And we're there. And it was the first time I had the, uh, Prusa version of the rep box, uh, on display in Prusa's, uh, thing, which was huge. That, that was, I, I can't even believe they agreed to that at this time, but, uh, I was, I was, I was lucky enough to, uh, twist the right arm, uh, for that. They, uh, the MMU had just dropped the, I think the, the second one, I believe at that point. And, uh, it was a great companion for that because, uh, they're kind of, solution for i call them the little sausage trays for the, the spools and stuff like i wasn't a fan of it i know a lot of people have mixed feelings about it and stuff like that but it was just a nice here here's a nice compact way to put five spools together and and feed it in and it, and it worked there was no we didn't mm -hmm. have any whiz bang rewinder system it was just like give yourself enough buffer space and uh it, and it worked and so they were showing that off and uh i i ran into dave there and you know he goes uh he goes this is great. Uh, you know, I can't remember how we struck up the conversation exactly, but basically he said, okay, I'm going to give you, do you remember how much time it was? A couple months. I think you said I think Dave, like two or three months. I think you said like give that. me a couple months. He's like, you get, you got to get this thing locked in. Cause I think we had just done like a new version or something, but it, it was, I don't think it was selling yet or something. You spent about 30 minutes talking about shiny, shiny objects before I said this. That's, that's kind of what made me say it. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and, and so he goes, uh, yeah, I'm going to give you, let's just say three months. Uh, and, and if you don't have this thing on the store, ready to sell and going, I'm going to release my, my spool holder solution, uh, that I've been working on <laughs> out there. And, uh, I think a lot of people would be like, this guy just, this guy just threatened me. But the truth is I found that incredibly motivating. I, I knew that it was a play from a place of, of encouragement, uh, and there have been a couple of moments in my professional life where I've had th these people just kind of help push you off the high dive. Uh, and, and I think that it's for, for 
I think Dave had a good read on me. He understood like this is a good uh, uh, tactic for for motivate, and I took it's him very I took him very seriously because Dave uh, doesn't apparently sleep, and he's constantly tinkering on ideas and stuff that I can't imagine your pile of stuff that has just never seen light of day because you just you know haven't gotten there yet or just got busy with other things or something. Well, but my I very toolbox much... is still not, you know, been seen the light of day. Yeah. I, I very uh... much believe you have something. Uh, it's not, it's not like it's, um, you know, that, that hard to, to develop something, you know, similar. I always say like a, a child could reverse engineer what we do, but, uh, you know, the, the sauce is, is more in the, the, the production and the, the efficiencies of, of figuring out how to get it uh, done and then kitting and uh, uh, packaging and all these little ancillary components that again make makers go crazy because it's not fun um but it is very necessary and you know we had our share of product that got damaged because we didn't package it well enough and uh um spent way too much money on on stuff as we got going you know doing excess so you know over time you find what the sweet spot is but uh that that's kind of how that that whole thing got started and he he talked about shiny object to me he's like i know where you are right now. And I know your temptation is going to be to constantly, Oh, but if I just tweak this or if I do this, it's going to be a little bit better. <clears throat> and he was spot on. Of course. It's like, I, st I still do that at times. I'm like, I, I am my own worst critic. And I think most people are with their product. Um, but the advice mm -hmm. is sound in that sometimes you're actually cannibalizing your ability to have a future upgrade path and reason for people to buy the next version. Right. So I don't want to say go as far as the planned obsolescence that we're familiar with, with, with Apple, but there is merit to having a, a release strategy. And we as makers benefit from these phenomenal tool sets these days that allow us to do continual improvement like mm -hmm. never before right that that we we use 3d printing and leverage that so that that we can provide upgrade paths and keep um you know products viable for longer periods of time i mean Prus is a fantastic example of that what they've done with mark three is the third i guess third major iteration of their you know printer and mm -hmm. that's that's seen what four major upgrades i think at this point the four major revisions revisions yeah, yeah sorry um, and, and it's, and it's fantastic. It feels like a great value to be part of that ecosystem because they're like, here, here's the parts you want to print to upgrade, or you can buy a kit sometimes, you know, if there's new hardware that, that they get, but it, it gives you these great, uh, coming back to the well kind of revenue streams. Uh, sorry, the excited Italian gesticulation <laughs> got me on the mic, but boom there. But, um, it's, it's, it's such a challenge still. And, uh, but we have spent a little bit more time planning and saying like, okay, this is good enough for now. My, my question for you, I know that was a long way to get there, Dave, is how do you, how do you draw that line? How do you determine what is, I don't know if it's minimum viable product or if it's just like, this is where we're deciding to lock. Like, how do you set your criteria for your products to determine uh, that? My bank account. Um, <laughs> <The> money. <laughs> seriously, if, if I if I can't keep the doors open, that is when you know you have you have to stop. Then, yeah. So I can't sure. keep the doors open. That's the first time you have to stop and say I got to release something just to pay the bills. Um. So you sit there and you, you establish that as your final line. Uh. The other one is timely iterations. Is is the market passing you up? Is it time for you? Is did someone else come out with something better than your first gen? Well, it's time for your second gen. Right. 
and so on and so forth. I give you examples, my enclosures. I mean, the next gen, I cannot tell you. I, I, I chased that one too long. Uh, that one, my next gen should have been released about a year earlier. Um, uh, than it was. Why do you think that? Because the other product just came along and cannibalized, well, not cannibalized. No, no, no. It was, uh, the problem was the manufacturing techniques. I was focused too much on shiny object syndrome. I had, uh, oh. I fell for my own problem. I had a full size, you know, giant eight foot or sorry, 10 foot by six foot vacuum form machine over there. And I was ready to start doing bubble domes and, you know, get mm. additional ovens the size of, you know, semi trucks and all that. I was, I was going at it and I, I just, I had to back down and go, nope, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. Um, and then go back to viability and what I could actually make a new product of and focus on what I was, the original goal where I said, you know, this next generation one, I want better heat retention. Uh, and I just went back to that and said, okay, let's just pull all these fancy ideas back and decide what it's going to take to actually hit those numbers. So, so you bring up a really interesting point and in, like, uh, the creeping elegance, if you will, right. Where you're working on a design and then you see all of these little things that you can add and you just slowly scope creep. Right. Um, oh, but isn't it, yeah. you know, maybe it's not scope creep. Maybe it's just, again, I can make this better. I can refine this. I can, you know, tune this manufacturing process and then you're so far away from where you started there now there's a giant chasm you got to figure out how to cross <laughs> yeah I, I just wanted to have a you know a 10 foot you know by six foot vacuum former to play with on the weekend <laughs> yeah that's, that's that's where that's it gets dangerous my trap yeah yep Oh, tool, tools are toys oh for us, right? Gosh, As makers, they? they're, they're toys. And it, the the limitless possibilities that we see in the tools themselves are really interesting uh, and, and are kind of a lot of driving factors for why we choose the things that we do. But it's <laughs> At a, least for me over here. It's a terrible criteria for business decision. It, I, I, I've, I've fallen guilty to the mm -hmm. same thing. It's like, oh, I really want, you know, the pressure former, the, the CNC setup and all this stuff. And, and uh but the, the challenge, and that's where Dave, like you said, like it can get real dangerous real quick because like you become invested in very expensive equipment and that means you need more space for it and potentially more employees. And so you can very rapidly spend a lot of money trying to get these new fancy tools that you think are going to really uh, take, but, but then you're not spending the time to analyze like how long is it going to take me to actually pay for this? Like what's the practicality of it? Mm -hmm. uh, and so figuring out, um, how smart of a person you have to hire to run that machine on a daily basis. Yeah. That vacuum former was a huge learning curve. I mean, for myself and I'm sitting there like trying to write programming, you know, Arduinos to automate all the processes that, so that I didn't have to have, you know, someone with a PhD degree in vacuum forming to make each one. <laughs> Are uh, they doing PhDs in vacuum forming these days? Pretty much. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's a problem you run into. So you have to be, I mean, my, my shiny object syndrome is in processes. Uh -huh. That's, that's where I fail. That's where I tend to break down as I sit there and I go, I want to spend $50,000 on a machine that saves, you know, five minutes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. You have to, you have to realize sometimes it's better to just count bolts by hand. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so so, the, so how do you do the calculus on what's the juicy opportunity versus it, what's shiny here? Mm -hmm. it, uh, for me, I look at it this way. If I can hire, uh, but this is just me, it's, it's bad business. But if I can hire a person to do it, I would rather hire a person to do it. So, because I, I create a job, I'm better off that way. I, I, I really believe as a business owner, my, my job is to create jobs. Um, so if I can get a machine to replace someone, I don't want to do that. Um, huh. 
I'd rather hire someone to do it if I can. Um, we talked That's a little bit about this at Rapid, and it, I found it interesting because it's backwards from where I feel like my mind is going. I'm in one of the most expensive labor markets there are. I I love the I'm passionate about automation and these great tool sets and stuff like that. And so and and frankly, uh, and, and I'm sure I've got probably employees listening right now, but it's like a, a machine is oftentimes a lot more reliable than people can be. But there's a big X factor, obviously, in yeah. uh, what you can and can't do. And and at the end of the day, you always need people at the very least to operate the machines or pack the thing like there's tons that we still can't automate well and that that's also really interesting too because for us we produce the same product over and over and over again right and so for us it's about consistency and repeatability yeah uh you know people are not great at repetitive tasks like we we just we suck at it if it's the same thing over and over and over again yeah and uh, like it's i was gonna ask dave like how when you when you have a machine um you know because it sounds like you you have invested a lot in your processes um where do you kind of see the benefit of developing you know maybe it's an automation i know prusa does this a lot like developing an in-house automation versus just figuring out a way to have an employee do that um even though it's a you know repetitive task is it is it do you start do you start with an employee first and then slowly figure out how to automate it or you just go all out trying to figure out how to automate it day one uh no i mean my guys in the back there because you you know we switched to cardboard spools recently and Mm -hmm. i you know gave them the cardboard spools and a rubber mallet and i said go to town put all the spools together one by one um and i start to make machinery that i sit there and go here you go i've made a pneumatic press that you just shove the pieces into and it presses it together uh and then you go and i go this is good enough for me at my level and the number i'm making but then you go to Prusa and they have a, you know, full robot sitting there that's, you know, slamming two things in the air together and spinning it around and throwing yeah. it on the machine. You know, they're, they, they really automate yeah. it. I think a lot of it has to do with scale because if, okay. um, if you, if you got to spend a half a million dollars to buy a machine, um, to put spools together and I'm not giving you a Prusa price or anything like that, but if, as an example, you know, if you spend half a million dollars to put two halves of a spool together, um, you're wasting money. Uh, because that, that payoff I can, time is long yeah yeah i can pay someone for 10 15 years you know to sit there and put spools together right yeah and in 10 and 15 you know I mean? years we may not be using spools anymore or whatever i mean like the, who knows how right. the technology mm-hmm. is going to change so and you always yeah. have to remember humans are much more flexible yeah. so yeah. when the spool changes slightly i got to go and rebuild five hundred thousand dollars worth of machinery yep. or uh, i just yeah. tell the person that's putting it together i go listen just hammer it harder from here on out um you know those subtle differences that's uh that's no it's it's definitely opened my eyes up to some different perspective like that uh, i don't know i think i i take a lot of uh stress on making sure that like when i hire somebody i want to make sure that i can keep them employed and so like what is the sustainability and what what is my and i'm still learning i only have uh three people or, or two right now but but uh we've had up to three and um just figuring out trying to forecast when you're in a growth curve is so hard and understanding the cycles of the market and the sales cycle for stuff. And, and is my product getting stale or is this actually just a sign of the, the greater economy? You know, who knows? It's uh, kind of a crapshoot in a lot of regards, but I'm very conservative. And so like, I want to have 
enough saved away so that I can cover payroll for months and months and months. I think there's a lot of people that are living way closer to the edge. And I think oh, yeah. a lot of it has to do with your risk tolerance uh, as well, obviously. Uh, it's I, uh, for the longest time, printed solid, we were, you know, a week away from being bankrupt for several oh, years. Oh, wow. I can't um, believe how common that story is. It's very common in small business. I mean, it's, it's, it's scary how common it is. I have more money in my checking account at home than I do in the business sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and that's not saying much because the business paid me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, you, you kind of ride that line and it's, it's really scary. I, I, I've always believed in staying slightly behind the actual demand. So if the demand needs 500 spools a day of filament, I want to make 490 spools a day. Uh, and the main reason why is because I'll sell everything I make and I won't. And when the, the market dips, you don't know. That's true. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, there, scarcity, going, scarcity well, kind of breeds demand to some extent too, or it, 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 I don't know if it creates value, but it, it creates a perception of value sometimes. Uh, absolutely. So that's a, that's an interesting strategy, Dave. That's uh, and, and you, you know, feel like that's been working well then. It works well. Cause I'm only slightly behind. I mean, for the most part, Everyone can get everything they want from me. I'm just only slightly behind. You know, they'll, they'll realize it comes up and it's fine. Hmm. Um, Prusa, you can tell by their wait list that they, they, they're they okay with that too for their model. Just from their wait list, it works for them. Well, yeah. Um, um, but imagine this. Tomorrow, somebody can come out with a $17 roll of American-made filament and call it, you know, um, Bucky, uh, you know, Bucky filament or Bucky PLA. Mm-hmm. And I could be, you know, my demand drops down to a hundred spools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And instead of having a facility that's able to make, you know, a thousand, but I only needed to make 500. I, I can recover a lot sooner. I can, I can, I have a little more time to recover from it. Yeah. Um, it's going up and down a hill. You gotta be careful. That makes sense. Uh, and then that's, I guess, another advantage of the tool sets that we use. And, you know, we, uh, studied, talk about just in time manufacturing, the cost of holding inventory, the amount of space that that requires, there's all kinds of disadvantages to just like, ran- mm-hmm. as much as that feels safe, it's like, Oh good. I've got some uh, production, uh, uh, buffer, uh, that there's, there's costs associated with that and you, you don't know what demand's going to be and you may end up having to liquidate and, and not sell, you, you know, for what you expect uh, to get out of it. So yeah, it's, <laughs> there's any number of ways that it can go South on you. I'm sure. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's one good thing I would probably put out there is, um, margins, you know, when, when you're dealing with a business and you're dealing with margins, and you have to think about shiny objects. And you have to think about release dates. That margin is going to be a big factor for you because let's say um, as a reseller, you know, everyone wants us to be about 20, 25% margin. That's a realistic real world number that's out there. Okay. But let's say it's 25% margin. That means that for every dollar I spend on employees, on rent, on electricity, it costs me $4. So when I look at a hundred dollar bill, I'm looking at a $400 bill. That that's the math in my head. That's all I'm always doing. I multiply everything by four because that's the real numbers I have to see on my sales every day to make something happen. Right. Right. Um, And when you see shiny object problem, you sit there and you start going, you see that money creep down. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. Um, You get that factor of four on 25% margin type of thing. Hmm. Manufacturers, you know, they tend to have higher margins because they have to deal with, service and support and stuff like that sure but finally figure out what your final number is and that's going to make your sliding scale you have to worry about 
Um, and mm-hmm. that, that lets you know when your cutoff is there. Yeah. Um, it's no, no shortage of challenges. I would, I would say the, the, one of the other things, you know, for me is like the trying not to get, I call it pot committed to the, the process. Like, so first mm-hmm. of all, your point about like cash is king in, in any business, like you, you cannot be making decisions that are going to sacrifice your cash flow that you need to pay for what you are doing, whether you're continuing continuing to do R and D and developing. So as much as you probably want to release regularly and stuff like that, you have to step back so you can make that money to pay for all of these things. Um, but then you put these processes in place to scale it and grow. And then before you know it, so for us, it's like, we do a ton of laser cutting still. I know you started there and then you realize, and I, I, I'm seeing it now because we're getting to that level that actually CNC affords some benefits in terms of, not just how you can design, but um, just little ancillary things like how you uh, manage the waste and uh, you know other uh, other other things, and it allows you to utilize that tool for other product and stuff in the in the future. So I don't think that it's one can necessarily completely replace the other because they they have trade offs, but um, you know not uh, pinning yourself. You know, I keep going like I can't imagine moving to a bigger place as much as we need to because I've spent tens of thousands of more than that to just get the facility we have the way that we need it. And the feeling of starting over again just feels so deflating. But you need to do that. Uh, So figuring out when the right what the right indicator is for that time, whether it's for process change, uh, a version change on a on a product all that stuff is is such a challenge. when you when your bedroom is full of product because you have nowhere else to store it that's when you need to move yeah <laughs> that's that's our problem right now <laughs> i have and a king bed because the other side is product that's just sleeping next to me yeah i mean we moved three years ago and we moved from 2850 uh, ogletown road to 2860 ogletown road uh-huh and that was still, we easily spent about 25 grand just for that move. Wow. Wow. And that was just and, across the street. And that was across the street. And that was still me getting a rider truck yeah. and driving it myself just back and forth between two loading docks for days on end to get everything over. Well, and imagine you were paying people to help for some of that stuff. So there's a payroll component to it as well, I guess. that. Uh, no, 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 I don't even consider my, uh, my, my employees are, uh, I don't consider them as a cost. Uh, oh, well, they're just. Then. But they still know. very much are. Yeah. Okay. They, they still are, but they're, they're soft costs and I get to write those off. I talk about the external companies I have to hire, the electricians, the permits, getting everything moved over, sure. um, build outs, the basic stuff you have to get done. All those things you spent on your place just to get things going. I had to do again for the new building. Yeah. Ugh. And, and so well, hopefully you're in a place where you can afford to, you know, do some of that, but I know you still do a lot of that yourself and stuff too. Uh, so, but hopefully the, the reward as you grow is having more money to, uh, take on that work. I'll be knocking a hole in the wall, uh, probably next week sometime, uh, Ooh. putting another door for the next building over. You better, <laughs> yeah. you better do it in some fantastic way that you can record. Like I said, drive your fork forklift through the wall, dress up like the Kool-Aid man and smash through it and go, Oh yeah. You know, something that we, I, I expect <laughs> to see that on the internet, Dave, please, please don't let us, please don't let us down. Okay. Uh, that's, that's awesome. How many square feet are you in right now? Just to give us a concept of, of the size of your operation. 
right now I'm a little over 10,000 square feet. I'm going to add another like 3,000 here in a week. So 13,000. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, like we're just, so you guys have comparison, I'm in uh, 1,700 square feet. So it's tiny. And our stuff is literally <laughs> stacked to the rafters. I have things touching. The fire marshal would not be happy. I have stuff touching the rafters. I, I feel... I feel inadequate. We're in like 900 square feet. <laughs> well, but this is how it starts, right? You know, so it's, you know, this is the, the, the trajectory, guys. Uh, hopefully, yeah. you know, it's just, yeah. Up. I mean, I'm lucky I'm in a business park. So I just, you know, I, every time a neighbor looks out, I'm kind of like, you know, that meme with the guy that's standing behind the tree, you know, like, <laughs> when's he leaving? When I'm, can calling I... up a, I'm calling up the landlord. So how much do you want for that? And, <laughs> Like I'm your favorite customer. I got four units right now. Come on now. Dude's like sneaking in in the middle of life, like sabotaging the plumbing, just making it <laughs> undesirable for them to want to stay. Uh, wow. Well, listen, Dave, we could talk to you all day, and I feel like there's a million things that we didn't get to. I do want to. I do want to ask you one more thing, and I want to give Andrew an opportunity as well because I know I take over way too much, guys. I apologize, Andrew. Um, Mike, <laughs> never let the machines win. Uh, when we were talking about tool sets and stuff, he, he, he was just like, eh, you know, get the new tools because tools are write-offs. And I think he's being flippant, but, um, mm -hmm. I feel like that is a perilous perspective, uh, that, that a lot of people, uh, especially that are new or not necessarily doing business, they go, oh, well, that's a write-off. That's a justification for getting these things. It doesn't mean it still doesn't cost you a lot of money though. It still costs money. And where's the money come from? And it's... <laughs> And it's not factor necessarily a good choice. Yeah. Don't forget the write-off. I mean, by the time you're done, your taxes factor of four or factor of five, depending on your situation. So sure, you bought a $50,000 machine, but it's only going to save you, you know, $10,000 in taxes, maybe. And mm -hmm. if I pay someone $50,000, I don't have to pay that $10,000 in taxes at the end of the year. So the only difference is you have an asset that when someone buys you in a merger, you get to sit there and say, I have this much assets to sell you. Justify your expense a little bit better. Yeah. That's um, about it. But it's still, it's still money you got to spend. It's still <laughs> money you got to spend. Uh, and and uh, one of the things that I, I see just looking at you that, that I think is really kind of a key takeaway, and you can tell me what your feeling is, but your expertise and your the fact that you are so fundamentally involved in the, in the books, the understanding, the money component. Like this is, I think where it is very perilous for a lot of people getting their start. Like I don't want to be involved. I don't, I don't want to do the books and stuff, but it's like, that's where a lot of your business decisions are being made. And so it's like, if you are not intimately involved in that and understanding that you're flying blind a lot of the time in terms of how to make good business decisions. I don't know. What do you think of that? If you don't know how to read the books and someone else is taking your money uh, and you won't know where you're wasting money. Yeah. So even if you have the best accountant in your office, even if you have the best bookkeepers and CFO and all that stuff, you need to still actively read the books sure. um, or you won't know when your filament line starting to cost you money. Um, and you, you've been covering it up by selling E3D products and it somehow works out in the wash. You don't, you don't realize which sections lose mm -hmm. you money. Shots fired. I feel like that was a shot at me. Um, <laughs> the, well, I had actually raised the price of my filament cause I didn't realize I was losing money for the last year on it. Well, and, uh, <laughs> and incidentally, uh, that should have been a masterclass guys in how to, uh, release, uh, a, a, a I'm not going to call it like a, a, an email just justifying, you know, the, the, the cost. I mean, we've all seen increases and stuff. And the fact that you got out in front of it and said, look, here's what's going on. Here's why we're mm -hmm. doing it. 
and I think people, they get it. I mean, it stinks. The cost of everything is going up, but it, you know, uh, nobody expects you to be able to, uh, continue operating, but at a loss. Uh, so kudos to you for that, for sure, sir. Um, and, and to, to, to understand too, you, you don't have a CFO or you're doing the books yourself still, right? We, we I talked am about I'm this at CFO, Rapid. CTO, CEO, and COO. Um, and you like it that way or you feel it's necessary? Uh, what, what, what's the reason? Well, as CFO, I have decided I don't have enough money to fill the other roles yet. Uh, <laughs> you, got, you got bigger fish, uh, to fry with, with that, that precious cash when you get it, huh? Yeah, let's put it this way. I, I would rather put that money in inventory and product, uh, right now than to hire, you know, a bunch of people to sit in offices. Yeah. Um, like a, as a pure overhead, uh, yeah. kind of cost. Interesting. My company's not big enough yet for that uh, to deal with. So when do you think people like, I don't know, it's going to depend on, you know, company to company, but in your opinion, when do you feel like people are big enough? Like I've wasted way too much money trying to hire bookkeepers and all this stuff that really aren't giving me any benefit. I, that was a lesson hard learned for me. Hmm. What do you feel like the indicate you're, cause you're almost, how, how many people are you now? Eight, seven, uh, eight, uh, seven people and uh, working on an eight. Okay. Uh, so even at that size, you feel like you're not, not ready for, for that degree of overhead or not, you're not personally willing. Cause you feel like you've got that covered to your, well, it, it's a matter of, um, I I'm awake for give or take a hundred hours a week. And, um, I'm still able to get everything done in that hundred hours. Once I'm not able to get it done in that hundred hours, then I have to hire someone to take over. Okay. Okay. Everyone here, I've done all their jobs at one point or another. Right. But I was actually going to ask that <laughs> is, is how do you like when, when you are talking about shiny object syndrome, you know, for, for us, you know, we're still small. So I do all of those jobs as well, but you know, I see all of the potentials for increasing productivity or process or that sort of stuff. So you know, having, I was going to ask if you actually worked each one of those individual jobs and, you know, how do you balance, you know, that, that, that scale of, you know, do I chase this for automation? Do I just, you know, continue letting this person do it? And, and then how do you factor that into your own personal decisions for how you grow your business? I try really hard to simplify everything as much as I can, make it as straightforward as possible for me and my workers. So, you know, it's where you look and say, hey, listen, they're walking two feet between these two boxes. Let's make that one foot. Uh, that'll make them 10 times more productive type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but once again, I mean, I'm awake for 100 hours and I'll hire, you know, I'll hire someone as soon as I don't have anything to do in that 100 hours. Um, so that, that's kind of what it takes right now. Uh, but though everybody here, I mean, uh, when we started, it was me and Matt. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. I ran, ran laser. It was me. Uh, 100% everything. Um, and then um, then I joined with Matt and it was me and Matt doing everything. And I mean, everything. Um, so, and then we started hiring, you know, one person at a time as things progressed. It just got bigger and bigger uh, naturally. It's a bloody nightmare. Uh, <laughs> but if you're a business owner or a maker that's doing a business and you are not a hundred, if you're not running at 100% of your waking hours at your business, um, you're wasting money. Uh, <laughs> now is that ever, so, is that ever okay? Cause what about the work-life balance or do you believe that's not really a thing if you're going to truly make a run as a, uh, as your own? Oh, that's for your employees. That's for your work-life balance is for your employees, <laughs> not for you. <laughs> um, uh, if you, I mean, if you run. guys, you run into me in a bar, you're going to ask me business questions. Hell yeah. 
I'm not going to waste Yeah, where's my order and what about this and blah, 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 blah. When are you going to release Relixer and all that stuff? Um, that was actually asked. <laughs> oh, I know. I see that all the time. We're working on it, I swear. Yeah. Uh, but that's the thing is that you expect to ask me all those questions, but you're not going to be asking Jeremy, when's my package shipping tomorrow? Right. You know, he's allowed to have a life. He's allowed to go out there and collect records and go to parties and stuff like that. And no, I have to go home and make sure QuickBooks is caught up for the quarter. Uh, and, and you, and you, and you do believe So I know, and it's a different, uh, we all have different, we're in different parts of our lives. I have young children. Andrew uh, is recently married. Uh, you, you obviously uh, shared with us that, you, you know, you've been, I have an old dog doing this and you have your dog. And so obviously <laughs> what, um, what is right or normal for all of us is, is a matter of, of, of personal opinion. But uh, I think, I think what you're saying is spot, is spot on. Like you, you never, you're never really on vacation. You're never really off uh, because you can't make your mind stop when it's all, you know, you know, I know my wife is, is so frustrated with me all the time about that. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, is that if you don't work that hundred hours a week or you don't get that max in there, you'll never get to the point where your business is so big. It doesn't need you anymore. Mm. I, I can't agree more, Dave. Like, <laughs> you know, I feel like that's the, that's the path that I'm on and it's, it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's absolutely tough. I mean, that's your dream is you're trying to get it to that point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, if I can, I, I, I mean, like when I told Joe, uh, Joe, you know, doing the deal, I was just like, my dream of this whole place is I want to take a vacation someday. I don't know where I want to go, but I just want to take one week off. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Week sounds right. I, I can't enjoy things much past that. Cause I just, I get too restless uh, needing to get back to it. Uh, but maybe that's, you know, a sign of the, the personality that it might might take for this. So as we as we wrap up, uh, what advice let's I, I, would, I would love it if you could give us like advice and, and maybe something specific here. We're talking about what it takes to go from just you as you know, starting your thing to, you know, what you have the path that you walked it. But when people are growing, like what are some key milestones that you would recommend? Like, OK. First, try to get to here, then try to get to your, what your first hire or get a specific building. I mean, how do you get out of the garage? What's the escape from the garage look like? Uh, well, first, get your garage done. Uh, I mean, that's the first thing I would tell everyone is get your product, get it made and make it so that your, your garage no longer works for your business. That should be your very first goal. Uh, sheer size, sheer scale. Um, I had my first time I had people that I hired that were going into my house while I still went to my day job. So, uh, you know, that, that's what you do. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I was paying people so that I could go to work. Um, <laughs> than me. I wouldn't want people in my house, but I can understand that you, you're doing whatever it takes. I get it. Right. And you, you do that and you, you, you grow the, you grow the business until you get the uh, garage full. And that should be your, your goal. I mean, that's that's what every every Silicon Valley story you hear is that the garage was out of control and six people sitting at their desk desperately trying to make this thing happen. Yeah. And if you're if you're not doing the same thing, then you're not uh, building your business. Um, and the other thing I would say, is make damn sure that the product you're making, you're passionate about. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, gloop. You have to just absolutely love every aspect of that product because every single day you're working with glue. Yep. You know, I mean, you have to simplify it, but for you, yeah. you have to love that. 
It know? is literally. It, it, that's he, exactly it. And he <laughs> does, and it's creepy, man. I can't. I can't. Put on it. Yeah, he's amazing uh, with that. And <laughs> you, you know, and, and you know, rep box. I mean, you're making a, a box. I know. You know, we break it down, and you're passionate about it. I really. Me, I'm over here making string and selling someone else's ideas, but I'm passionate about it. You know. So you have to make darn sure that you, whatever product you're going to make, whatever product you're going to sell, you could never get tired of it. I've seen so many people that just, they, they hate their company. Make that's, sure that whatever you're doing in your garage is good. That sounds so weird to me. So first of all, David, we call it fine filament furniture here. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, it's so bizarre. Like, cause I, I've had people like ask me that too. It's like, you make like, why is that even exciting? And I'm like, because nobody else cares about it. Nobody thinks about it. It's literally the last thing that anybody, like I said, puts any time and effort into doing or designing. And yet I, I find it to be such a satisfying part of the, the process. I'm way more interested in a lot of times in the organization, uh, and the support structures behind 3d printing than the printers themselves oftentimes. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I love it, but, uh, I, I mean, that's how my enclosure started and yeah. that was just a freaking box. Uh, you know what I mean? It's just a, it's just a very well-designed box for a specific purpose, but every single screw hole on the those products you're passionate about. I mean, you, you think about the packing material. I mean, I still know exactly how many wraps of cardboard is in every box yeah. and, you know, the corner edge weight on everything. And, you know, I, I can tell you shipping weight on any every one of my enclosures and dimensions. <laughs> yeah. You have to be passionate about it. And if you're not, the business is going to fail. That's great. That's great advice. And and it sounds like, and the goal should always be outgrowing. Like, and, and you like said, eventually you're going to outgrow to the point where you outgrow the business and you can retire and hopefully have some years left of your life to enjoy, I guess. Well, that. you know, my goal is that I want to, you know, take a week off and then come back and play with 3d printers in my basement someday. Uh, that would be kind of fun. <laughs> and, and again, to get back to China, that's the biggest challenge as makers. It's like, I, you know, maker pooch is constantly at battle with business pooch uh, wanting to, I want to play. I, I want to play. And so I'm lucky that I, I have the opportunity to get a little bit of that satisfaction uh, by what we're doing. We're doing a lot of work on the, the belt printing and I'm really enjoying, but I know we're, it's time well spent because we're getting great potential product, product out, of out of it and stuff like that. So I, I will, I will leave you on the most depressing day of my life. It was the day that I was sitting here and I was so busy doing QuickBooks and accounting and filing my quarterly taxes that we got the brand new mosaic palette at our shop. I mean, a pre-order, I had it here and it was delivered to me. I paid with my own personal money yeah. and I went to Tony, Nuna, Tuna, T Tony here and I told him, Hey, um, I don't have time for this. I'm going to pay you to figure it out and then tell me what to do. Oh, wow. Someone else to play with the new toy. And that was probably one of the most depressing days of my life uh, in 3D printing is when I realized I have to pay other people to, to play, do what I love. <laughs> I, I've, I've been there and it's, it's tough. Cause it's like, part of it is like, well, you're selling it. So you want to have some understanding of the product and all that stuff uh, too. But you know, yeah, also because we're passionate about it and we love that stuff. That's sad, but uh, I hope you are still finding some time for some of the things that you're passionate about. I do see you, you know, you have your uh, retro computer museum that you're building in your house. And so you do s seem to find some time for other things to keep you sane. We've got, I had to pick something else. Yeah. We've got, we've got, and, and you wanted, is that distance intentionally just so that you could 
Not I still managed you. to make it in 3D printing. I made two filaments just for retro computer people. But I, I was trying to distance myself. Uh <laughs> and you can't do it. <laughs> nope. Uh, well, I, I hope that – would you say that's one of your tactics to avoid burnout at some point? Or are you concerned about – you know, because Chep in the chat is bringing up burnout, and you know that's yeah. a real thing. Find something else. Find something else if you can. But you still got to put 100 hours, so you know you only get an hour a week, so it better be a good hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I get my, my, my joy is I, I, I got me a new lawnmower. Um, I, I enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the simple pleasures. I, I get you. I mean, just hopping on the mower. Is it a zero turn at least? It is a fully electric zero turn. What? Ooh. Is it? Yeah. It's fully electric, uh, but you have to ride it still. Or is it? It's still, I still have to ride it. Okay. All right. No, I still have to ride it because, you know, I hit a full speed and I just, you know, go for it across the yard. It's kind of fun. Oh, man. The things that we enjoy. We're such dorks. But, man, <laughs> it's so zen just getting on the riding mower sometimes and zipping around and running lines yeah in the in the grass listen david th- we've taken up so much of your time uh, i know you got of, of your hundred hours we were lucky to get more than one of them here so uh send me a bill and uh <laughs> and and we'll, we'll happily put it in the pile um uh, thank you so much for joining us, guys. I Like I said, uh, at some point, we'll have to have you back on uh, as a follow-up to see how things are progressing because uh, I'm just really excited, uh, as I'm sure you are. And and thank you so much. Uh, a lot of people uh, applauding your transparency. It's incredibly insightful and valuable to people to just kind of understand what it takes to get to certain levels and and uh, strategies and all that stuff. Um, so thank you. Thank you for from both of us. Uh and- Anybody watching it, build something, make it, and try and sell it. Just just do it, right? Just go for it. And, and, uh, you and can... in three months, if you haven't done it, I'm going to do it. So That's right. Uh... It's coming for you. The lesson, guys, Dave Randolph is coming for you if you don't. He's like the boogeyman of uh, you know, The boogeyman. Started. Oh, gosh. Yeah, the chupacabra of the maker world. He's going to get you. Uh, thanks so much, Dave. That was awesome. Uh, Andrew. Uh, thank you for letting me just completely uh, overwhelm oh, the conversation. No, but great. you always have it's great, great. Uh, insight. Uh, anything <laughs> else you want to leave us with or ask Dave before we uh, sign off real quick? No, no, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, again, echoing what Pooch said. Um, can't wait to have you back on, you know, in a few months and then maybe we can get Joe on and, and see how those stories, see, see match if the up. stories line up. <laughs> I know, that'd be great. Um, quick teaser guys for next week. Uh, uh, awesome show this week, but, uh, next week we get, we're going to have Stefan from uh, CNC kitchen, uh, big fan of, of his channel. And, uh, he's, he's making a run now as a, a creator trying to do product. And that's, uh, that's such an interesting, uh, challenge. So we look forward to, to asking him. Uh, how that's going and and understanding his process and and, and uh, opinion. So tune in for that. Uh, set a reminder. Uh, like I said, we're going to try to be uh, regular. Uh, some housekeeping issues. Uh, I've got a bunch of travel coming up. Obviously, uh, many of you may see us in Murph at the end of June. Um, I'm going to be in the UK for uh, some events early uh, next month and stuff too. So we may have uh, some summer months where we're going to miss a week and stuff, but we'll keep you posted mm-hmm. on that. Uh, but until next time, Uh, Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we look forward to seeing you again soon. This is Maker That Money, Pooch with Repcord, Andrew, and Dave with Printed Solids. Thank you, guys. Signing off. Goodbye, everybody.